I think I probably find more enjoyment out of working with smaller budgets, if I'm being honest. I think actually having a smaller budget encourages you to be more creative than you would be if you've got an abundance of, of money sitting there to help support your campaigns. I think it makes you more vigilant and stricter with coming up with an idea that's different in-house. So I don't know if it's a preference. I think there's benefits to both, but I think I've got more enjoyment out of campaigns I've delivered when it's been on a smaller budget than a larger one. We believe that to solve the biggest, most complex marketing problems, you have to blur the lines between intuition and reason, imagination and logic, the theoretical and the practical. Join us as we reimagine problem solving with leading B2B marketers on B2B Marketing Solved. We're your hosts, Richard and Benedict. Benny, today we've got Kate Owen on the show. Pretty excited about this one. She's got such a diverse experience, not only in many different industries, but also in a number of different roles. It's going to be really cool. What's the topic? I think today we are going to be talking about why budget does not and absolutely should not be the limit of creativity. In fact, actually, it can power a lot of creativity. So it should be a really interesting one and uh, have a lot of practical takeaways from Marcus as well. Kate, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. So thanks for having me. So I'm Kate Owen, CMO at UPP. I've worked across marketing and communications for over 20 years now. I've worked uh, prior to UPP at Capita, also for organisations like the NHS, Thomson Reuters, Starbucks, Adeco. So a multitude of different sectors, different industries, but always in marketing and comms. From a, from a kind of creative budget perspective, I've had the privilege of working with multi-million pound budgets, but also I've had the privilege of working with very, very, very small budgets. So looking forward to the discussion today and hopefully can share some of the stories across my career to date. Benny knows that I love rooting through people's LinkedIn profiles before we get cracking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you've got one quote on there from Antonia Wade, who's obviously the CMO of, uh, of PwC. Yeah, And the first line of it is, Kate is one of the best marketers I've ever worked with. She balances <laughs> commerciality and creativity in a way that is extremely hard to do. There we go. Well, that's very kind of her. Obviously, the uh, bribery over the years has paid off on the LinkedIn. But no, look, I think it's actually a really important point. I think building relationships and and having those connections across your career in marketing and taking them through with you into each job you do is hugely important. So I'm proud to have stayed in touch with lots of different people actually across my career. I think it's really important. And just you talking there around, you said, and I think you used the word privilege actually for, for both the big budgets and also the small budgets. Now it may not be as stupid a question as it might seem, but which do you prefer? Working with a big budget or a small budget when it comes to uh, doing something creative? So I don't know whether it's what I would prefer. I think I probably find more enjoyment out of working with smaller budgets, if I'm being honest. I think actually having a smaller budget encourages you to be more creative than you would be if you've got an abundance of, of money sitting there to help support your campaigns. I think it makes you more vigilant and stricter with coming up with an idea that's different in-house. So I don't know if it's a preference. I think there's benefits to both, but I think I've got more enjoyment out of campaigns I've delivered when it's been on a smaller budget than a larger one. 
Yeah, and I, to be honest, I was hoping that you were going to say that because <laughs> I think there's there's an awful lot of truth that when you do have restrictions, almost like that problem to solve, it forces you to be by necessity sort of creative. So you spoke there around the importance of thinking within the internal marketing organization around that sort of initial idea. When you've got a tight budget, so you've got that pressure on, but you need to do something which is going to win hearts and minds um, of your audience. What's your process for sort of developing that, that idea and ensuring that you're pushing yourself creatively? So I think probably for me personally, so, so my background hasn't just been isolated to marketing. So it actually started in uh, PR. Yeah. And then I think since then, I've had a, a range of roles that do span marketing, PR, internal comms. For me, that makes a difference because I think you design your strategies differently. So you're not just looking at marketing through the lens of, I don't know, advertising or out of home or lead gen or direct mail or the collateral that supports it. I think you're thinking about the reputational aspect of that in direct correlation. And so often in most companies, they're two different departments, aren't they? So I think for me, I've always taken taken that background and tried to have that double hat on when you're designing those strategies. I think that going back to the point about marketing budgets, I think that when it comes to budget, you can spend millions, can't you, on an amazing creative campaign. But if it misses the mark reputationally and doesn't really have a a great emotional intelligence connection to it, I think it won't land correctly. So it's a waste of a waste of money. I think if I think about when I worked at NHS, for example, every single pound that was spent on marketing there is a pound that's not being spent on a patient in the hospital, right? So when you work for organizations like that, you've really got to look at it from a from a marketing and comms lens, I think. And I think that that is sometimes lacking from a B2B marketing perspective. But when I think about that, like take, for example, one of the best campaigns out there creatively, I think, in terms of raising brand awareness and appreciation of the NHS was actually done through the power of community spirit, wasn't it, with the Clap for Heroes initiative. Mm. That was actually a Dutch woman that lived in London that came up with that idea. It was completely authentic, completely free, and the public perception of the National Health Service at a time when prior to COVID probably wasn't as positive. For me, that's a that's a perfect example of landing something emotionally and intelligently with the kernel of something that's born out of something tangible and very real. Nicely, and I think that it. Whilst NHS probably can't claim all of the the credit for that, I mean, it was incredibly powerful in terms of of, of a movement. So if we're sort of to look back at your experience, you talked about the importance of developing that that, that strategy which sits behind the creative. And one of the ways that I like to think about it is that it doesn't matter how big your budget is, it's actually the story that you've, you want to tell. And if you can yeah. tell a really, really interesting story, there's a million different ways that you, you can do it. But just to sort of take me into the room almost, when you are sitting down with your colleagues within the marketing department to get that sort of initial idea, that, that sort of kernel, as I think was the word that you, you also just used a second ago, paint that picture. Who's there? What does it look like? What's the structure of that sort of conversation? Yeah, so I think you have to start off with what your objective is. 
And I think you have to look at it through the eyes of the different audiences that you want to reach and the story you want to tell them. So, for example, if I was thinking about that from a UPP perspective, is obviously the objective that we want to achieve as an organisation. But then there's obviously our customers, which are our universities. There's our end user, which is our student, essentially. And then there's there's the wider sector. So reputationally, what do we want to achieve with those guys as well? So for me, it's about sitting with the team and saying, what is it that we actually want to get across? What is the message? What do we want to land? But importantly, why would they care? Because if they don't care, it doesn't matter if you land your message, you're not actually going to be successful with, with what you're pushing out there. So it's about trying to find, for me, the common ground. So, you know, what does the student care about and why would they engage with what you're pushing out there? What's in it for them? Same from a customer perspective. I think at a very broad level, that that's the first part of that conversation so that you're not just designing something for the sake of it because you think it's a good idea. I think often actually in B2B and B2C, you know, you can go into a dark room, can't you, on your own and come up with these amazing initiatives. But what I find quite frustrating is that you don't actually ask the people you're trying to sell or market that to what they think. I've been part of lots of different dinners across my career or events where everyone is actually talking about this audience or this segment that they're trying to reach, but they don't actually have that person in the room telling them whether they're right or wrong. I'll never, I'll never forget actually, whilst I was at Thomson Reuters, we were designing a big, a big kind of marketing campaign to reach certain banks. We hadn't actually got the people from the banks into the room, so chief data officers to say, is this what you actually engage with? And so we were coming up with all of these digital ideas and this is what we would do on social. Half of the banks that we were trying to reach didn't even have social media access during the day because of their firewalls. Yeah. So, I, and I'll never, ever forget that. And that was well over 10 years ago now. So for me, I think coming up with those ideas, coming up with those strategies, but then making sure that you're soft testing it or actually t- checking that that's right with the people that you're talking about in that room. Absolutely. And I think that making sure that you have that audience first approach to your messaging is is vital to be absolutely blunt. People don't really care about what you as a brand want to say. It's got to be put into their language. So how do you ensure you do get the voice of the the customer within that, that process? So here, for example, at UPP, uh, we actually have our own app. So we have an app that reaches all of the students that are in residences across the universities in the UK. It's a phenomenal channel to do exactly that, to have a two-way communication with the students. We are working on a programme at the moment around advocacy and influencer marketing more broadly, which which again, I think in B2B is done well in some parts, but but not typically across the board, actually. So how do you get uh, not just the voice of that consumer or customer into your into your business and your strategies and your roadmap. But how do you get them advocating for you as well? So we're working through that at the moment in terms of actually having students write for us on our website, for example, to actually co-create blogs with us. 
We've got a series of events around sustainability. We know sustainability is a huge topic for, for students right now. So actually the events that we're running, we're co-speaking with them. We have um, design competitions where actually we've got judges that are part of the judging community so that so that it's it's threaded into there. And then we actually have our UPP Foundation, which is an independent charity funded by UPP, but sits within within my world as well. And that does some phenomenal thought leadership, think tank pieces across the higher education sector more broadly, but very much with the student in mind and how they can support them on their journeys into throughout and beyond higher education. So here at UPP, uh, we've got a big program around that. Previously at NHS, it was, it was trickier to do that uh, just because of the fact that it was very much around running the estate, building the relationship with the NHS counterparts as opposed to having direct relationships with the patients themselves. So, so that was hard whilst there. And then I think uh, Thomson Reuters, in terms of getting the voice in, like I said, we used to we used to do after this big revelation that the banks didn't actually have access to social media, uh, but at the time everyone was saying it was the best way to, to create lead gen. We then actually did kind of quarterly roadshows and we had kind of quarterly advisory boards where those uh, key targets and key kind of different titles across the organisations that we wanted to engage with were feeding into that conversation. So you, you touched on it there, you know, you've got a, a very broad range, a very interesting range of experiences, right, from NHS to higher education, Thomson Reuters, obviously, news media or, and many other things, and then financial services as well. How has that experience informed the way in which you approach having conversations both with stakeholders internally, but also finding the information out from the customers? It's a good question. I think it's about tailoring your approach to the different industries. So I think it's great that there are general ways in which you approach things, but I think you have to be conscious of the sectors that you're working in. And that takes time to learn, doesn't it? Especially if you're new into, into that particular industry. And I think it's a huge implication for marketing and for B2B marketing budgets, actually. I mean, if you take financial services, for example, you know, you've now got all sorts of regulations, bribery acts. You know, there's actually you're actually quite limited in what you can and can't do. And again, with the NHS, it being a, a public sector organisation, the optics of what what you do creatively can sometimes be under scrutiny. And I'll never forget, actually, at the NHS, one of the things we did a big campaign with a thought leadership tank called the King's Fund. And it was all around kind of how the estate was revolutionising in the future for the future patient. And really basic basic idea at the time but was to kind of create this video box what was very cost effective it was out there in a lot of other sectors at the time but the NHS hadn't really seen anything like that before and it didn't land well because it actually looked more expensive than it actually was and so we didn't end up going through with it because when we we showed it to different people to different to different patients actually and to different kind of key key C-suite executives within those, those organisations we were working with, they didn't feel it would land. So I think 
you have to build those relationships and have kind of friendly, uh, I would say friendlies that you can test some of these ideas with, but make sure what you're testing is fit for purpose and, and designed for that sector because they're all so different. Right. And just to go back to with that sort of that process in terms of coming up with, with great ideas. So you've done that sort of ideation session with your, your team. You've worked out from a strategic perspective what it is that you want to say and you know, potentially where you're going to say it and, and to who. At what point and what advice would you give listeners in terms of how you can then successfully use your creative agency to tell that story and I'd be interested to know where it's gone it's gone wrong and you've probably been let down and what you've learned from that but equally sort of when it's really gone absolutely sort of perfectly and you've got fantastic results I think that'd be really useful sort of information for, for those tuning in yep so I always feel quite sorry for creative agencies so this might this might be quite controversial but I always think a creative agency is only as good as the brief that you give them and I think often, I think the way in which it best works for me anyway, has always been to be really clear about what the role of the creative agency is versus the role of the in-house team. And I do think that sometimes there is a there is a blur of what the roles and responsibilities are. I'm also a strong believer that the team in-house should do more of the work than the creative agency does just because they are the team that understand the business they are the team that understand what it is your product your proposition and i think where the creative agency comes in to, to add value is that they're, they're the creative thinkers aren't they you know the agencies can come up with things that you know are fun and different and dynamic but they need the content and they need the premise behind that before they can actually turn that into something that's viable so i think for me having a blend is really important i don't think it works when a brief is literally chucked over the fence to a creative agency and they are they are told to get on with it yeah neither do we <laughs> I really don't. And so for me, I've been really, really lucky to work with certain agencies where they are an extension of your team. And it, it's not an external company you're working with. You're all working towards the same, the same goal. So I think that that's important to say. In terms of the strategy from there on, I think it's about bringing those discussions as early into the, the conversation as you can as well, actually, because often some of the times, you know, you can you can ideate and you can brainstorm a campaign, but you can brainstorm it up to the fact of 90 percent and you, it's kind of there and packaged. Whereas I think if you're getting people into that discussion earlier, you've got more thoughts, you've got more, you've got more people inputting into, well, that will work. Actually, that won't work and it won't work because of this. So I think the two top tips there I would say is the agency is an extension, not an alternative. And the balance between in-house and external has to be right and bring that discussion earlier than you might necessarily think think to do. I mean, I think that's music to our ears in terms of the, the idea of working, you know, collaboratively and being absolutely honest, we have that spectrum probably with the, the clients that we work with. Some there is that absolute sort of feeling of being one team. And then probably on the other end, there's sometimes it feels that we are having stuff chucked over the fence and you know, we make both work, but clearly the former is is ideal. But in practical terms, when you talk around an extension of, of the team, what does that look like? Is that sort of 
physically getting them in in those early sessions to sort of brainstorm when it's still sort of a bit sort of scrabbly or what does that look like and how do you make sure that you build that sort of solidarity and uh, cohesiveness yeah so for me the most successful campaigns that I can think back on if I'm being really really honest the and we go back to that word the kernel but the kernel of the idea has actually come from the from the internal team so I've always you know I always try and say to my team think of the big idea think of something that's different think of something that's really relevant to this organization and to the people we're going after it's only really at that point that I've worked with agencies to then bring in to further brainstorm that out and map that out and and kind of bring in that extra expertise on the different channels we might want to use or the creative ways in which you can make it multi-channel and bring it together under one umbrella. I know that creative agencies often come up with the ideas themselves, but I do think that when I look at, and this might be controversial again, but when I look at all of the award programmes that are out there at the moment, it upsets me that they are dominated purely by external agencies. How many times nowadays do we actually see award category one uh, created by agency X in partnership with Y? It doesn't doesn't really come out, does it? I agree. I mean, that's not too out there. And I know I screamed when uh, you kind of said it. But I mean, the, the reason for that, I assume, is because the agencies want to look good with their clients and ultimately they're willing to put up the, the, the spend to basically uh, help hope that their campaign is nominated whereas if it's a brand directly it might be kind of less pressurized to do so i do agree i do think that you know there are degrees of creativity that absolutely can come it from internally and and kind of you know those creative shoots we need to as marketers internally within our organizations we need to nurture our talent to be able to make sure that there's creativity living and breathing throughout our organization i suppose Obviously, now coming back to my agency side of the fence, you also see a lot of businesses that aren't able to think beyond the confines of their proposition, their ideas, their ways of working, because you know they're so in the day-to-day, they're so in the mire, and they've got different KPIs that they need to hit as a business. And sometimes, well, I know definitely the value that, you know, we and many, many other creative agencies can bring is that more umbrella view, the more holistic thinking and and the experience of working with multiple different clients with multiple different views, obviously, is also quite compelling from a brand perspective, because it's just a different take. And my feeling is, is somewhere in the middle there, there's a balance, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think the only thing I would add to that is if you've sought out a career in marketing, then by default, you sh- you have some creativity born in your DNA, surely, right? Like, you know, I look at, I look at, you know, I've got an 11-year-old daughter. She can design websites right now better than I could ever do before or now. And I think in particular for, for agencies, and for young people, how do you as an agency, I suppose, make sure that for those aspiring marketeers that are coming up, to your point, it is a blend so that we're not actually having marketers sitting there worrying. I mean, that would be my worst nightmare, having a marketing team sitting there just purely thinking about 
a KPI or purely thinking about, right, well, actually, I need to speak to an agency because I need to come up with a campaign and I've not got the time to do it. So I, I agree with you. I think there's... But it happens. That it does happen. And I know you know? it happens and I've seen it. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I know it's out there. I think that, like... I think a lot of it needs to come down to actually mutual respect. And I think that there are many, there are many occasions where there isn't that mutual respect between, you know, a marketer in relation to the creative agency and vice versa, being totally honest. And I think that that is absolutely the detriment of creativity and the effectiveness of campaigns. And from my perspective, the sooner that people stop trying to sort of like build walls around areas of expertise, the better, because it's only creatives that can have good ideas. It's absolute nonsense. So the sooner actually that people can sort of get within an environment and work out how to extract good ideas from people, the better. Those good ideas can come from any of them, from any discipline, you know, even outside of marketing. Really what I think is the sort of the, the key thing, and this is actually where you know, a creative agency can come in and be that sort of really, really helpful partner is to facilitate that conversation. So a lot of the work that we're doing in when we go in, into a meeting conversation, meeting environment with, with a client is it's using those powers of facilitation to extract those great ideas. And that great idea could come from me and, you know, great if it does, that's, you know, my, my job title almost dictates that I, I do do that. But, but equally, it can come from anybody else, from any discipline and also from any level. So it's only creatives that have good ideas and it's only salespeople that could come up with good sales strategies and all of that other like the better because it's uh, it's nonsense so there's there's my little bit of getting riled up i think the other thing just to add to that as well is where where the campaigns that i've worked on have genuinely been the most successful has been where to your point you've got other people feeding into that with other disciplines so other third parties right whether that is so for example at capita we did a whole campaign around classroom of the future and it was about how do you get young people thinking about the way of work moving forwards and actually working with a young enterprise it was actually bringing those guys into that discussion with the agency as well so your sum of parts is even greater you've got so many different people feeding into that so I agree with that yeah and and I think it's like um, almost you want to carry the mantra. You need to take people from outside of the box to think outside of the box almost, right? But I suppose this is a really interesting topic and there's going to be people listening right now going, mm, maybe I'm not creative enough. Maybe I'm not facilitating enough. Maybe I'm not speaking to a, enough people in different places within my organization or outside of my organization. Kate, if you had to give two pieces of advice to marketers listening to this to enable them to become more creative, what would that advice be? So I think definitely the first piece of advice I would say is check out what other people are doing, right? So we've mentioned awards. I've been fortunate to judge different awards across my career to date. And all of those shortlisted entries, all of the winners, you know, they're all profiled on lots of different platforms. You yourselves as agencies, you know, you have an array of awards and accolades on your websites. Go and check those out because actually it's looking at some of those stuff that can kind of inspire you. I remember, I remember years ago at B2B Marketing, one of the award winners was around Tinder for cows. It was yes. about Tinder for cows. 
And I mean, you would not expect that to be in B2B marketing. When I spoke to a lot of different colleagues, there was a mixed reaction to that. They right? really milked that, that campaign, yeah. didn't they? <laughs> oh my God, that was awful. But they really did. But it only cost them, it literally only cost them £30,000 or, or something in that region. It was a limited budget. They worked with an agency on it. But the idea was phenomenal, right? And it, was, it came out of a brainstorm together. Um, some people might not say that's B2B, but it, it does class as B2B. So I think checking out what other people are doing, I think, is really important. And I think expanding your own personal network. So for me personally, some of the best ideas I get is actually, you mentioned, you know, Antonio at the start of the conversation, there's others out there that I continue to speak to and kind of just share and bounce ideas off of each other and say, what are you doing over there? When I first joined UPP, one of the biggest things that I wanted to do was start to build the connections with my CMO counterparts at the universities, just to really explore like, well, how are you approaching this? And we're thinking of, of X and Y, that's been hugely valuable for me to not only learn about the sector, but also really see how different different CMOs are approaching marketing when everyone's trying to reach the same audience segment, actually, within the world I work in right now. I think that that, that first piece of advice about, you know, looking at what other people are doing is, is now, now clearly from a sort of a strategic perspective, understanding what other people are doing is great because it means you can work out how you positively differentiate. But what I think is really, really important is to go outside of your category to look yep. for, for inspiration. The reality is, is there's no such thing as a brand new idea. Effectively, what a good sort of idea is, is where you are taking one or two different ideas which have been applied in a completely different context, bringing them together, maybe reconfiguring them a bit and then applying it to a whole new set of circumstances. And that's what good creativity is, actually. So going out, looking at what other people are doing outside of your category and working out how that could apply within your environment is, I think, a really, really key piece of advice. Yeah, I think, and just as you were talking there, and this might not be so relevant, but just made me think back to when I was at Reuters, actually, we did this big campaign around Solvency 2, which is in insurance and asset management. And at the time, when we were working with the creative agency on how do you package that up visually, it was quite interesting because one of the pieces that came out of the brainstorm session was, well, actually, if this campaign is, is hugely and largely digital, what imagery out there right now is, is trending, is the number one imagery? And it was actually cats. <laughs> Just don't laugh. Like Literally, this is years ago, but it was literally cats and animals more broadly. So we ended up going to market with quite a dry financial services campaign that actually went out there with jellyfish. We had deer. We had wildlife. And at the time, I remember thinking, God, this is either going to work fantastically or this is going to just go down really badly. But it worked because the imagery was what people kind of looked at on social media. Now, we didn't necessarily get, you know, everyone was an insurer or an asset manager, but actually just thinking outside the box and coming up with something that was a bit different actually made the campaign more successful. It's standing out, but it's also understanding the importance of emotional connection, which 
to be honest, I think that it's absolutely gaining traction within B2B and a lot of B2B marketers do understand that. But there's still, I think, a way to go to really sort of understand the importance of getting that emotional resonance alongside the the rational resonance and, and having that balance. But from your perspective, where, where do you think B2B is at the moment in terms of understanding the role of emotion within uh, marketing and creativity? I think it's much better than what it used to be. I think that there is a... To your point about stuff not necessarily being new, it's a kind of enhancement of it. I think B2B marketing still needs to take more risks. I don't think that it takes enough chances on trying different things. And I think actually there's been lots of things that have been tried out before that might not necessarily have landed, that it's time to... It's time to resurrect and actually give them a go now. I remember years ago doing something around augmented reality and it was a game and it bombed. It bombed badly. (laughs) And this was before people were really into it. But at the time, I was fortunate enough to work with someone that kind of said, you know what, give it a go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think that just because something might not have worked years ago, don't necessarily discount it and bring it back to the surface now. So I think for me, yeah, I think take more risks, do something that's a bit bolder, be a bit more punchier. Um, To your point, it's about how do you stand out? You know, the market is so saturated now with so many different companies, startups, big global corporates. How do you distinguish who you are and what you're doing and how you make a difference? It's about the impact, isn't it? So I think, yeah, just be being a bit braver. It's, uh, obviously, it's uh, a topic that's been spoken about many events and in many uh, B2B marketing press for the last number of years. I suppose, you know, we talk about taking risks and being brave and we kind of know that we need to be doing that as, as marketeers because of the amount that we've read and, and heard about it. But in terms of that, I think it's a really interesting point. When we think about people with more limited budgets now than they ever had before, obviously it puts more impetus on the high risk, high reward kind of situation, right? I suppose, again, back to trying to give practical advice for people listening to this. When we talk about risk, what does that actually mean? Because when people hear the word risk, it obviously, you know, sets an alarm bell in, you know, some people's minds. You know, it's quite a difficult thing to comprehend. Are you able to talk about practical risks that you've taken in the last couple of years? Yep. So if I think of, so say, for example, we are running a campaign, but actually this particular campaign has a limited budget of, I'm just going to say, £30,000. For me, the way I would approach that is to think about, what is the biggest impact you can have with that £30,000, right? Because actually, you could spend that in 24 hours with an agency, or you could spend that 24 hours on out-of-home advertising, right? And And you wouldn't get any return from that. So for me, it would be about... Unless it was the Octopus Group and and Udder. Right? Uh, or Tada, well, whatever well, they call it. Maybe. <laughs> it depends, doesn't it? I think it goes back to that point of what is it you're trying to achieve and the big idea. So for me, one of the things that we did was how would we create kind of a series to speak to um, different students around themes that were impacting them as they came out of COVID? So well-being, um, mental health, careers and counselling, and obviously on quite limited budgets. And so if you go back to that point we said around what do they care about, for us, we started by saying, well, who influences them? We don't. 
We don't. You know, they engage with brands um, that are big global brands, but they also engage with people on TikTok that I've never heard of in my life, right? I'm too old, not on TikTok. I don't understand who they're talking about. So actually, if you're going to take a risk, why wouldn't you allocate a big chunk of that money into actually getting someone that they can listen to, that does resonate with them, that does talk about the theme or the story that you want to tell them. And then everything else is a wraparound. Everything else becomes the marketing expertise that you guys have mentioned, either agency side or in-house, because the campaign kind of has a life of its own. If you've designed something that just organically gets them engaged, then everything else you can strategically wrap around it. So I don't know if that's helpful, but from a practical perspective, the risk there is, you know, you're allocating a big chunk of money onto one component of a multi-channel campaign, and then you're having to rely on on your resource and your skill set and your expertise to maximise the success of that. I suppose that's, that's how I have approached it. And so far it's worked, but... Definitely. I think uh, that's really good advice. Uh, danger of answering my own question as well. There was something that I had spoken to someone about the other day and they found it quite valuable, whether you or the audience do as well. I don't know. We were on the subject of risk and the conversation we were basically having was they're in a very corporate environment. There are certain parameters and there's quite a lot of red tape in this certain organization. And when we were on the subject of taking a risk and being brave, because of the way the organizations had been traditionally set up, it was very quite taboo to do something a little bit off-piste. And my suggestion was, and not culturally ingrained, and my suggestion was to find one or two entrepreneurs in the certain sector. So this one was financial services. And um, spend a couple of hours with those entrepreneurs within that space. So it might be, you know, a direct-to-consumer product, which is you know, not entirely relevant, but still in financial services. But what you get when you spend time with people with sometimes quite different personality traits and that are running a very small business, a very agile business, is you'll see how they take more risks and think quite differently than you would in a really big corporate organization. Now, I'm not saying that every big B2B company can market themselves like a, a, a five-person startup. But what I am saying is, by spending time and surrounding yourself with people of that mindset and an entrepreneurial background, you will get to understand how they approach making decisions that are slightly riskier and slightly more off-piste than maybe our traditional ones. So if you know any entrepreneurs, spend some time with them. I think that that's absolutely right. And then I would also build on that and say, we should be thinking about the people that aren't yet in business as well. And I think we we in the world of work make very quick assumptions as to how the youth engage and have opinions about different things. And we don't ask them. I remember when um, we were doing that Classroom of the Future campaign at Capita and we actually targeted four to seven year olds as part of that. And it was really weird where a lot of people said, oh, but everything will be online, won't it? By the time the four-year-old is 11-year-old, it'll all be digital. And actually, it wasn't. When you spoke to the four-year-old and the seven-year-old, they actually had really articulated ideas, quite strong opinions, 
They are the consumers that are influencing parental decisions in terms of purchases. They are going to be the future leaders. So I would actually be encouraging B2B organisations to definitely do what you've just said. But actually, if they're thinking of a longer term strategy around their products, their propositions, their outreach, they should actually be talking to the consumers of the future much earlier than, than entrepreneurs alone. I think they need a they need a wider view because it's not always what we think to be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good example, right? Like uh, when we think of the analogy of, of being a kid and ice skating, for example, right? When you're a kid, you just get on the ice. You don't care about falling over and that's absolutely fine. Take more risks. When you're older, you're, yeah. you're not doing that, right? You're worried about our fragile bones. We're going well off piece here. I can see Benny looking at me, but you know what I mean? <laughs> and they don't and also they are very very straight talking they say what they think don't they and, and as you say the older you get you're more conscious of of how you might portray something so yeah I think it's an excellent point and it comes back to what we were talking about earlier that importance of the the voice of the customer or the voice of the audience whether that's um present or, or future invaluable really but everyone talks about that, don't they, Benedict? But how many people are really doing it? It does wind me up, actually, how many how many podcasts or how many kind of thought leadership. You have to really believe that and you have to embrace it and you have to put that in that, to your point, that first meeting. Why would they care? And make it about them, not about not about you. Yeah, it's also true in terms of the what you've just said that a lot of people pay lip service to this whole idea, and often because of time pressures or whatever it might be, it's one of the first things that's skipped over. Um, you know, even when when we do strategy work, the absolute well, to me, not all the work we do, but certainly if you're doing sort of like some heavy strategy work or brand strategy work, you you want to start with understanding the the audience, and I've been in those unfortunate situations where because of time pressures that's one of the things which they try to drop or gets gets dropped sort of straight off and it's always a battle to try and persuade them of that absolute sort of importance in terms of the process so yeah we, we all need to i think champion the uh, the customer's voice to make sure that that's an integral part of the process and I suppose one thing that we haven't really touched on, but it's kind of been an underlying theme throughout when we speak about creativity and escaping the bounds of budget, is the idea that marketing needs to be fun, right? Like to come up with the most creative ideas, we need to get out of the, you know, the structures that maybe a lot of corporate environments have kind of placed on, you know, modern ways of working. How would you, I mean, how's your marketing team set up? Uh, do people have fun in your marketing team? Can- <laughs> <laughs> Well, the I, hope they, I hope they do. And if they listen to this, then I hope that they tell me that they do. <laughs> yeah, look, absolutely, right? And I don't just think it's about marketing either, is it? Like we spend most of our lives at work. So whatever we're doing, we should be waking up in the morning. What I love, what I genuinely, genuinely love about marketing is that when you do have that idea or when you are working on that campaign that you just know is special, and actually, you know, is something different. You get that fire in your belly, don't you? And the glint in your eye. And when you're talking about it, the passion just comes through because you're so excited to do it. And you can't wait to have another call or a meeting on this or look at the visual for that or or have a discussion around 
ROI, for example. I mean, ROI is one of the driest conversations you can possibly have. But if you're working on something that you truly care about, it actually just becomes part and parcel of how you show how successful something is. So I couldn't agree more. I'd like to think my teams have fun. I'd like to think the teams that have worked for me previously have had fun. That's what it's all about, isn't it? My 11-year-old daughter does not agree with that, by the way. I've been trying to get her interested in marketing and creativity and stuff, and she just kind of looks at me as if to say, Mum, why would I do that? Yeah, I'm saying to her, you're, you're, doing, you're doing code, you're building this, you're doing it already, you just don't really want to admit it. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe we should call marketing something different in the future. Yeah, well, you mean, you're absolutely right. She's, I mean, she's building websites. Websites are in most cases, your biggest marketing asset that you have <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> and also marketing is fundamentally about communicating ideas and persuasion. And that's just underlying in everything that we do day to day. So it should be something that gets people excited. And I think that the more that we can have fun, as you say, the better the ideas that you're going to get. One, because I think that you get people more engaged and present within a process, but also with fun comes energy and with energy becomes sparks of ideas. And so it's, it's so, so important. Definitely. Yeah. A slogan for you, Kate, is if it don't light a fire, it ends up in the mire. There you go. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll that take is that a back good internally. one. Yeah, okay, I will. <laughs> I'm here all week, don't worry. <laughs> I think it's been really good. Thank you very much, Kate. Good. My pleasure. Thanks, Kate. B2B Marketing Solved is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more about us, head to allen-agency.com and make sure to search for Marketing Solved in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future golden nuggets from the biggest names in B2B Marketing. On behalf of the team here at Allen, Thanks for listening.